Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Peck. church. We are in a series called Connected, talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, which is a piece of the Godhead we've talked a lot less about than the Father and the Son. And this morning, I'm excited to share with you a message, but uh, I want to talk this morning about the things that impact and shape the way we think about the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of things that come together in all of our lives, uh, different churches and backgrounds and teaching we've had. But I think it's also our culture, our society that shapes how we interact with God and how we interact with the Holy Spirit. And one of those influences is that we live in a consumer economy. And that consumer economy shapes the way we think about a lot of things. It shapes the way we think about relationships. The worth of objects, the worth of services that we come across. We make decisions every day based on these interactions, right? Is the gym membership continuing to be worth it or not with the amount of times we're going and the services we get back? Should we clean the house ourselves or is it better just to be able to give money to someone else and have that time redeemed in some other way? Can we afford to stay at home uh, with the kids with one of us or are both of us going to need to work and take care of daycare and so forth? We make these decisions all the time. When is retirement going to be a possibility. And daily, we're faced with these kinds of choices. But one of the dangers of living up in a, living in a society of consumerism is uh, it begins to shape the way we think about people and relationships. We begin to think in ways that are, are not seeing people in the image of God as they're created to be, but we often see them as uh, what they offer to us and is our time worth it with these people. And I think this has impacted our view of God as well. We do value assessments on our relationships with God based on consumeristic ideas. What has God done for me lately? I'm so busy. God wouldn't be offended if I missed a Sunday and slept in. Is prayer effective? Uh, What does it really mean that we believe in prayer? Does it do anything? Now, those kinds of questions, if you think about it, ought to be offending to the relationship you're involved with. Think about this in your everyday relationships with a a significant other in your life or a spouse or a a best friend. If you were to say, you know, really, I I don't think it's worth spending time with you because my time is not really paying off like I hoped it would. See how that goes over uh, this today if you uh, want to risk that. Last week, We talked about Pentecost. Pentecost is this moment in Acts chapter 2 at the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit falls down on the people and there's miraculous things that happen. And, And Jesus had told them that they're supposed to do this. They're supposed to wait in Jerusalem for the time when the Holy Spirit will come upon them and then they'll be his witnesses. They'll go out on mission for God throughout the world. 
And I guess the question I would be wondering if that's the promise of Jesus is you're to wait for the Holy Spirit to come is how will we know? How will we know the Spirit has fallen? But if you read Acts 2, it's pretty clear that things have changed. Peter has changed and the environment has changed and God is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. But there's a mistake we can make when we read a story like that. We can begin to misunderstand the Holy Spirit as some sort of force or power that we utilize when we need a fill up. But that's a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. And today what I want to do is I want to clarify some things about who the Spirit of God is and what the Spirit of God does and how we connect with that Spirit as we continue this conversation called Connected here at Greenville Oaks. So let's pray as we open God's Word this morning. Oh God, you are our God and earnestly we seek you. God, there have been days we have wandered far away from you and there are days that we wander closer to you. And what we're finding as we do those acts, as we walk further to you and further away from you is that when we live in tune with your word and with your teaching, that life tends to go better. Not that the outcomes are always the way we want them or that the speed of your answer to our prayers is the way we desire. But when we live in tune with the way you've designed the world as the creator, God, it always goes better. And so God, I pray today that as we come in the, into contact with your word, with your teaching, with the truth of the way the world is and the truth of your spirit, that we would align our lives with that truth and that we would join you on mission along with the families we prayed for this morning already. I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, one of the questions I struggled with as I was prepping this series was, how do you communicate who the Holy Spirit is, especially in relationship to God the Father and Jesus the Son? We claim to believe in this Trinity thing. But it's a little hard to explain, and I appreciate so much a couple of weeks ago, Keith Maloney, the job that he did. I'm sure he would have picked any other topic except this one, but I said, would you preach on the Holy Spirit and the relationship and the Trinity between God the Father and Jesus the Son? He did a terrific job. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, go back and listen to that sermon, but um, maybe you still have some questions, and I wanted to clear up some of those questions this morning. And so I have a, an opportunity for us to listen in on a, a patron saint, a saint from the past in Christianity, St. Patrick, who brought Christianity to Ireland. He's going to tell us a little bit about how this Trinity thing works out. So if you've ever had questions or wondered what that would look like, this clip ought to clear everything up for you. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star, 
and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously... I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Riley, there's a, a video for you when your teachers ask. I remember being in a seminary at ACU, and they asked that simple question, describe the Trinity. And it seemed like every single description we wrote down was heretical in some way. It's hard to describe who God is. So if you have any more questions about this, just ask Keith Maloney, because he did such a good job a couple of weeks ago. Uh, God is a mystery. We believe in God. We believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is one in three, three in one, but it's hard to describe. So let's just move on from that. Today, we're going to continue our focus on the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that by looking at a particular scripture. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2. I want to encourage you to open your Bibles or turn on your, your phones and, and find your Bible app to Acts chapter 8 is where I want to read from this morning in just a moment. In Acts 8, the church is being persecuted. Uh, Stephen has been killed, the first Christian martyr, for professing his faith that Jesus is Lord. And Paul has stood in approval over his death, actually Saul at this time. And so the church is being scattered because they don't want them in Jerusalem anymore and they're being persecuted. They go to Samaria and other places. And this is what happens as the church gets scattered into the world. Acts 8 verse 4 is when I want to start reading. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So Philip begins to preach this message. He begins to share the good news of Jesus in enemy territory. This is in Samaria. And he's casting unclean spirits out of people. He's healing others. 
Now, if you have a hard time believing in this whole business about demons and spirits and supernatural, I want to encourage you to stay with the series. We're actually going to come back to the topic of spiritual warfare and supernatural gifts a little bit later on. But in this sermon, I just want to keep reading. We'll come back to that. Verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. I love the Bible because stories like these get lost and we forget them. Do you remember the story about Simon the sorcerer? He's a sorcerer. He's a magician. We're not exactly what, know what he is, but he's doing tricks that are so great. They've given him a nickname that you don't get by doing just anything, right? They call him the great power of God. You don't get that by doing card tricks, right? This guy has some kind of power at work in him that they seem to think that this comes from some divine realm, the power that he has to do his sorcery. And yet Philip comes into town preaching the news of Jesus Christ. And it's so convincing the miracles that he's doing, the power that seems to be behind Philip's message that everyone is responding. Simon included, Simon whose nickname is the great power of God. And the text says that Simon, the one known as the great power of God, is astonished by the great signs and miracles that he's doing. Let's, let's keep reading and watch what happens. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So they come, right, these disciples from other cities, and they lay their hands on them. It's, it's somewhat what we did just a moment ago, right? Uh, we had the elder or the, the, the missions team lay their hands on these who are going on mission trip. We're trying to say we're bestowing the Spirit's work on you and may God work among you and move among you as you go on your mission. And we see this story where this happens. I don't know what happens, but when they receive the Holy Spirit and already astonished Simon sees something so miraculous that he says, I want what you've got. Even though I'm the great power of God, I'm a great sorcerer. There's a power that's even greater than what I have to work in you. So he offers, let me pay for whatever this gift is. Now imagine what it would take. Think about a magician that you've seen maybe, right? Or maybe you've gone to Vegas and seen a show with somebody big, David Copperfield or something like that. Think about uh, how well he knows his craft, right? And think about what it would take for David Copperfield to be amazed at some other magician who comes in and does this even greater illusion than what's been shown before. He says, I want that power. You've got something I don't have. Because he admits, he sees that some power is even greater than what he seems to have. But what we're going to read in just a moment will tell you, if you want that kind of power, don't offer to pay for it. That's not exactly what God wants for you. Verse 20, let's keep reading. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. 
You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Apparently you can't buy God off. We've been talking the last few weeks about the Holy Spirit, and maybe you're thinking, this sounds pretty good. I'd like to have the transformation, the power of the Spirit in my life to live and walk the life that God has called me to live. My question is, why do you want that Holy Spirit? What's the motivation that causes you to desire to want the Spirit to be at work in your life? What's the motive there? You see, Simon in this story wants the Holy Spirit because he's thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if there would be this, this power that I could have that's greater than what I have right now? He has some kind of ends that he's trying to seek, and, and the Holy Spirit is becoming a means to his agenda and his end. Let me be clear with you this morning. The Holy Spirit is not a power or a force to be harnessed for your goals or your agenda. The Holy Spirit is there to transform us, to accomplish not our agenda, but God's agenda, which is the kingdom of God established on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is not some kind of magic act. You know, I hear us sometimes use our language in, in, in ways that I want to challenge this morning. Sometimes we'll say, I believe in the power of prayer. And I want to say, that's not exactly right. A little bit of a nuance. We don't believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of God who hears our prayers, right? Because to think that maybe there's some kind of power in prayer that we utter the right words in the right way and God is somehow bound to the incantation we give, and that's, that's magic. That's not, that's not prayer as we practice it as Christians. No, we offer our requests to God. We offer all of our wishes just as a child offers them to, the, to, to their mom or dad. We offer our prayer requests to God, and we in the end say, God, may your will be done because it's not about our agenda. It's got to be about God's agenda. That's the problem with Simon in the story. Is God's trying to harness, or Simon's trying to harness the power of God for Simon's agenda. But the work of God is never that. See, magic doesn't require repentance, right? Ma magic is just something we use at our disposal for what we want to accomplish, for what we want to hide and not show others is really behind the scenes. No, no, no. The work of God in the world through the power of the Holy Spirit is not to accomplish our agenda, it's to accomplish God's agenda, and it demands repentance to walk in obedience to God. I think there's a lot of Christians right now who are dabbling in magic and don't know it. They're dabbling in trying to find and access some kind of power that's about really what their ends are, rather than putting our end and aligning them with God's ends. The Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not a flesh and blood person that we can touch, but a person in the sense of one with whom we can have relationship. And here's the danger when we misunderstand that. When you start dealing with the Holy Spirit as a power, like Simon did, you're always looking for power and you may just miss the person and the relationship. But the Holy Spirit's not a power surge for your Christian life. The Holy Spirit is a person we can know and we can relate to, not just a force or power to be used. How do we know the Holy Spirit's a person instead of just a force or an it? Sometimes I hear the Spirit kind of referred to like the force in Star Wars. It's like this thing we can't touch, but it's to be used in certain ways. And 
I think it's more important that we have a relationship with this God through the Holy Spirit that transforms and moves us. Scripture talks about this. In in Scripture, it talks about the Spirit bears the attributes of a personality, intellect and emotion and will. Romans 8.27 is one of those passages that tells us that the Holy Spirit knows things with his mind. Ephesians 4 verse 30 tells us that the Holy Spirit has emotions because we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 tells us that the Holy Spirit has a will. He acts with intentionality and with purpose. And in addition, the Bible also in places uses personal pronouns for the Holy Spirit. It's not an it, it's Holy Spirit is a he, right? Listen to this in, in John 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, these are the words of Jesus. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So we've been talking a little bit about in this series why we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit and why this is such an important for a topic for us to study on and to delve into. I think there's a reason for that. I've got a theory why I don't think we talk as much about the Holy Spirit as we do Jesus. And to get there, I want to ask you a question. Why is it that we need a relationship with Jesus? Why was it necessary for God to send Jesus to planet Earth? And I think there's good reasons for that. We need Jesus because we need to know what it looks like to live a life in tune with the Spirit of God. We need Jesus because his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection gives us a chance of forgiveness and to reconnect with God in relationship. See, we need Jesus because salvation isn't possible without a gift that was given through his blood and through his death and through his resurrection. So why do we need the Holy Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, we could not be transformed. The primary work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers is to progressively conform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a process we often refer to as sanctification, becoming more holy because of the Spirit's work. Listen to how 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 talks about this process in the life of of a believer. Second Corinthians three, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So having talked this morning about the roles and the person of Jesus and the Holy spirit in our lives, why is it that we focus so much on Jesus and not near as much about the Holy spirit? And here's my theory. The gospel that I've always heard growing up was a gospel that was mostly focused on eternal salvation, right? And and the purpose of that was really important because that's an important gift that God gives to us. To walk into our deaths in a way that we have confidence about what's coming after that is a way that we're able to, to die with dignity. We're able to die with confidence to know we've been forgiven and we can move on to what is next. And so it's a vital gift that we should receive with gratitude. And that's the gift that Jesus offers to us. That's the gospel that we've told. And our evangelism has often been focused around that question, right? Sometimes it sounds like this. If you were to die tonight, where would you go after that? Do you know where you'd end up? That's a question that's focused on salvation, thinking about eternal life and what comes in the afterlife. But my question is, once we save people, then what? 
Well, what happens after we receive that salvation? When I was 13 years old, I was baptized on my birthday. I remember it at the Mesa Church of Christ. I remember the feeling of coming up out of the waters and feeling like all of that awful sin of my first 13 years. I didn't know there'd be more to come, right? But, but all that sin was washed away. And I remember that feeling of freshness. I remember that feeling, I want to do everything for God. But I also feel, felt like I'm at the pinnacle of my faith. Like, it'll never get better than this. I made this decision, and what now? And what I didn't realize is I thought that, that baptism was the finish line of faith, but what I didn't realize is it was like the starting line, right? Like, the marathon was just about to begin. The attack was about to be even stronger, and yet the growth and understanding of God, and sacrificial life as I got married and had kids and Walked some, like all of that is the faith that continues. It's not after the race. I'm just in the middle of the race right now. And when we mischaracterize that, we, we don't need the Holy Spirit because we think we're done. But if we're just starting the race, we need some help. Amen. We need somebody to journey with us all along the way. The goal has got to be bigger than salvation. We're not called to make Christians, church. We're called to make disciples. And disciples don't just end in their baptism. They're started and they continue in that process. Matthew chapter 28 is uh, the last words of Jesus uh, that he gives to his disciples before he leaves and ascends to heaven. Listen to this, this, this charge that he gives his disciples, gives to us as well. Matthew 28 verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What's the call of that passage? Does that call in, include baptizing people? Yes, of course. Does that call include teaching people to obey everything that Jesus commanded? Of course, but what's the original call that's defined by baptizing and obedience? It's called discipleship. You're to make disciples. And what's the promise at the end of this? We can't forget this piece. Surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. I would suggest to you that's the spirit of God that remains with us on this journey. And so if we're going to make disciples, all of that is encompassing. All of it is important, but it's both and not either or. We have focused on Jesus because we have been con come content, I believe, with just salvation. It's hard to even say just salvation because it's such an incredible gift. But brothers and sisters, we are not called to become content with the starting line. We're on a journey. God wants to transform each and every one of us. He wants us to experience the abundant life the Holy Spirit comes to lead us into. So let us not miss out on the power of that spirit to change us. We're not supposed to become comfortable with patterns of sin in our life. We're not supposed to just become comfortable to say, this is just all there is, and we're just waiting on Jesus to return. You've been called for a purpose. You've been given gifts, and you've been called on a mission. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer we've been praying through this series. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't understand that. I don't fully recognize what it's like to be transformed. I know there's an active and a passive part of that, right? This is being filled is something that isn't ours to do. God fills us up, but there's also this active part that participates with God in our transformation. I want to encourage you to continue on that journey, to realize that salvation is a wonderful gift. But sanctification is also the call that each of us have in our lives.
Many of us have had that experience of coming up out of the waters of baptism and knowing that salvation, the confidence that brings. But not all of us have taken the next step of continuing that transformation journey. So I want to pray for us as we close today that God would lead us to whatever step is next for us in that journey. That we would open our lives, the power of the spirit, that we would know the transformation that God wants to continue to bring. God, we ask this morning that you would do just what you promised in your word. That spirit of truth would continue to guide us. And we thank you, God, so much for Jesus. Thank you for the salvation that is ours in him. And that, God, there's nothing we can do to become good enough, but it is a gift of grace. And God, we have such gratitude for that gift. But God, we thank you also for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I've done that as much as thanking you for Jesus. In fact, Jesus said that it's good that he goes so the Spirit can come. So God, we want to walk in tune with that Spirit. We know, I think, those moments where we, we experience growth. It's not always easy times, but we know that your Spirit is guiding us on that journey. I pray you'd lead each one to whatever next step is there for us. Would you guide us? Would you empower us? Would you sanctify us? Would you trans? Form us. May people look at us and wonder what has happened because of your spirit at work in our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you in your walk to find real significance in Jesus. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org. Today's video clip credited to YouTube user Lutheran Satire.